Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Titus. Uh, The book of Titus. If you're visiting with us here this morning, we once again welcome you and uh, invite you to grab a Bible on the back card if you don't have a copy of God's Word or simply follow along with the insert in your bulletin. We're in between series here at APC. Normally, I like to preach uh, successfully through books um, week after week, but uh, in light of what is happening this morning, specifically uh, this service of ordination that you see listed in your bulletin, which we'll talk more about in a few minutes, I wanted to take the opportunity today to talk about the church. When I say the church, I'm not just talking about, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people, but I'm actually talking about the institution of the church, the organization of the church. Lots and lots could be said. Of course, this could be a whole series in and of itself, but it seemed to me that Titus chapter 1 is a great place to start to begin thinking about the organization known as the church. You see, following Jesus' ascension into heaven, Titus, a co-worker of Paul in the first century, has been left on the island of Crete to establish and to strengthen churches on that island. Churches that were, as made evident by the passage that I'm about to read, churches that were without organization, that were without strong leadership, and that were without strong teaching. And so Paul wants to encourage, he wants to instruct this young pastor And I think in doing so, as we have God's Word now preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, He wants to instruct us and encourage us as well this morning. Titus chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. If you are able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Listen as I read. Paul says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. This is, they'll be seated. I'm going to try to be brief this morning, particularly in light of what's to come and the time that that's going to take. We could spend a lot more time on this passage than we're going to do this morning, but I would like for us just for a few minutes, to meditate on two things that I think this passage clearly shows us and encourages us in, particularly this morning. And the first one is this. 
The local church matters. The local church matters. Now, I realize that in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir here this morning and saying just that simple point. But I also recognize that you, the choir, you're not always talking to the choir, right? When you go from this place, you're talking to others. And the institutional church is, is not very popular in our day. Of course, our beliefs ostracize us at times and in some circles, but even the local church, even the institutional church is, is not popular. I remember when I served in San Diego, we for many years were uh, hoping to build a new building on our land, one that could further accommodate uh, our needs. And for years and years, we went to the San Diego City Council asking for a conditional use permit. And we were appealing to all sorts of precedents that were there in the history of San Diego. One of our guys, I wasn't in the meeting, but he related to us. One of the guys said, well, this is what, this is what you did for this church back in this year. And one city councilman actually said to him, yeah, but that's back when we believed the churches were actually good for our community. The local church is not very popular. And then even within our own circles, even within the evangelical world, even among God's people, there are voices that say, oh, we don't need the local church anymore. That's, that's an outdated thing. That's a first century, second century thing. It served its purpose, but it doesn't fit with us now. Spirituality may be a hot topic, but organized religion certainly is not. And so some people say there are better ways for us to grow the church. Books like Life After Church, Quitting the Church, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Those flood our shelves. So the question is, so we, ought we move on from the local church? What we see here in this passage for us this morning, what's preserved in God's Word for His people is a concern for the church, and not just the people that make up the church, but the church as an organization. What does Paul say? Put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. You see, the Lord God knows that left to ourselves, we will flounder. We need the local church. The local church needs solid leadership. I need the local church. I need solid leadership around me. And so finding its, its, its roots in the Old Testament and in the practices of Israel, Paul calls for the church to be led, to be governed by elders, by overseers, our, pastor, or our passage says. This is not some casual assumption of, of leadership by charismatic personalities. This is a formal appointment an official entrusting of responsibility. Now, Paul doesn't tell Titus specifically how to do that here in this passage. 
Did Titus appoint them? Did the congregation vote? I, I think the congregation had input, which has informed our process, which is why the man that's going to stand before us this morning is a man that you nominated, that you elected to this office. And now he's being appointed. Whatever the exact method, God's instructions for his church are clear. Elders are to be put in place in every locale in order that they might lead. And there are two words that are used interchangeably here in Titus verses 5 and 7, and not just here in Titus, but in Acts 20, as well as 1 Peter 5, the word elders. Greek is presbyteros, from where we get our word presbyter or presbyterian. Emphasizes seniority, emphasizes maturity. And then the word overseer you see in our passage, episkopos, where we get our word episcopal, which emphasizes oversight. These two words begin to describe the foundational structure of the local church. An organization that matters. And if it matters, it means you ought to care about it. You should care about its leadership. That's why Paul gets pretty specific here in our passage, doesn't he, about what that leadership ought to look like. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we dive into those verses, I want to give you some motivation for staying with me, for staying awake, for, don't, for, for not using that new YouTube streaming capability that you have. Because these requirements, verses 6 and following, for many of you, they're not addressed directly to you, right? You're not elders. You're, some of you will never be elders. So why give attention to these verses? Well, let me give you four quick reasons. Number one, these verses should help you pray. These verses should help you pray. If God cares so much about the local church, if it matters so much to Him, and if this is the picture of what healthy leadership looks like, then we need to pray that men like this are continually in the life of Ascension Presbyterian Church raised up in our midst. Not only that, but the Scriptures call us to pray for those who are already in authority over us. And so the men who are already elders need to remain in these qualities in an ever-increasing measure because the evil one wants nothing more than to shame the name of Christ by calling or by causing those whom God has called to lead his church to fall, to disgrace his name in some way. So pray for the elders in regards to these things. That's the first reason you ought to stick with me. Secondly, this is in all of your futures, this list. God will call some of you men in this congregation, maybe some of you who sit here this morning already are desiring this office. God will call you to this office. And so these are things listed that you need to be striving for that you need to be seeking to grow in. 
Maybe some weeding in your heart that needs to happen. But what about the rest of you? Well, the rest of you will be called to choose men who fit these qualifications. In just a few months, we open up and begin again officer nominations here at APC. And you say, well, we just did that last year and the year before. And yes, we did. And we'll do it next year and the year after. We do it every year because we constantly need new men rising up and serving this church. And so in a sense, this list is yours to pay attention to it because you are responsible for it as you prayerfully consider, particularly in a couple months, whom the Lord might be calling to this office. Number three, these qualities apply to all who bear the name of Jesus, right? It's not as if Paul is trying to say that elders need to be self-controlled, but the rest of you don't even worry about it. No, the implication is this is the bar for elders, but we all need to be striving for that because, because this is Jesus. The perfection of all these qualities is Jesus. And that's the fourth reason you need to pay attention and you need to listen is because I want you to see Jesus. As we go through all, just and we're not going to go through it exhaustively, we're going to fly through it, but as we go through some of these character qualities, what I want to have in the back of your mind is not just, am I this? Do I need to grow in this? Who is this? But this is Jesus. This is Jesus' profile description. 30-something Jewish man, humble, slow in anger, gentle like you've never experienced, general, generous, a lover of all good, in complete control of his passions. We could go on. That's a, this is a description of Jesus. And because this is Jesus in perfection, any deficiency in my part, and indeed there are deficiencies in my part, any deficiency in the existing elders or in elders-to-be in these character qualities are hidden ultimately in the Son. And the gospel tells us that God loves us in His Son because of such grace, the fact that I'm a new creation in Christ, I am created in Him for these things, created for holiness, created for good works. And so don't merely focus on yourself, don't merely focus on the church, but fix your eyes on Jesus. The church matters. It matters to Jesus. He died for her. He is concerned for her. He will return to wed her that she might be his for eternity. That's the first thing. And the second is this. Elders must bleed gospel. That's kind of a stark way to say that, I realize, but I was wanting to sum up this list. Elders must bleed gospel. Many of you remember, at least those of you who were part of the Pilgrim's Progress, maybe if you weren't, you just know this, that they said of John Bunyan, 
the great Puritan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. They said that he knew God's word so well that if you cut him, he bled Bible. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Elders must bleed gospel because we live in a world a political world specifically, that often tries to separate or compartmentalize the more private relationships in one's life as if they have no effect on one's ability to lead. And it's interesting, isn't it, that beginning here and carrying through the next several verses, the focus on man's readiness for leadership is not on his gifts, not on his skill set, but on his home, on his character, and on his speech. An elder's life must be a life that proclaims that the gospel transforms that the gospel is powerful. Their home life matters, their character matters, and their calling matters. Let's talk about those three things real quick. Home life. Paul tells Titus in verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. In other words, home is the proving ground for elders. Is he a man of utmost integrity at home, in his pajamas? Is he open to charges and accusations of all kinds? Is he, if married, is he a one-woman man? Do his children honor and respect him as they live under his roof? Home is the proving ground for leadership. And then character character. In our old house in San Diego, we had these Pergo floors installed, and one of the things about these floors was that whenever you walk down the hallway early in the morning, they would squeak. Probably something wrong with the installation, but the early mornings in this little 1,200-foot square house that we lit, I had to trail so carefully in the mornings to not wake up my little children that I might have at least an hour of quiet. In the same way, an elder's life is a careful walk of grace, mindful that not just his faith, but others' faith leans on the stability of his own. That's different than walking on, on pins and needles, worrying about what people think, kind of a fear of man issue. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about walking in love, mindful of those who you serve. And this is sobering. This is sobering. And Paul lists this extensive list of character traits, not arrogant. How easily is leadership characterized by arrogance in our day? Not quick-tempered. If there's one thing about dealing with people, it's that some people are difficult. Some people are hard to love. Some people are stubborn. Some people lack common sense. All those things could be said about all of us at some point in our lives. 
And it's in those times that the man of God must be patient, slow to anger, and abounding in love. It's in those times that the man of God must remember, reread Israel's story and God's dealings with Israel and his gracious long-suffering with his people. Elder must be hospitable. It's not the ability to throw a good party. The Greek here is literally love for strangers. Sacrificial, risky, opening your doors and your arms to those who are in need. It was that kind of character, it was that kind of action in the ancient world that caused the the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to take fire. And then finally, disciplined. It takes intentionality, it takes effort, it takes commitment to strive for these things. The power of the gospel must be clearly seen in an elder's life. Well, as I said, we could, we could dig so much deeper, we could spend so much more time in this list. But the two things I just want to set in your hearts is that the local church matters and elders must bleed gospel. And so the response for you this morning is to rejoice in the local church, to love it like Jesus loves it, to rejoice that you have been given elders who don't perfectly but in some way bleed gospel already and you need to pray that they continually do so and increasingly do so. Finally, as you see the good shepherd Jesus faintly reflected in the shepherds of this church, fix your eyes on him. Consider your union with him. Consider the indwelling spirit, his spirit that is in each of you, giving you the ability to walk in these things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we